pray, and then we are going to step into the last of our series on Romans. (laughs) So let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your presence with us already. And Lord, we want to hear from you. Lord, we want to hear your voice. We want to, Lord, be responding to what you are saying to us. So, Lord, I pray, Father, by your Spirit, Lord, that you would, Lord, use what I've prepared, Lord, but may it be done for your glory. But, Father, help us also to be able to receive from you, Lord, and to hear you speaking. In Jesus' name, amen. So, today, this is the last in our, it feels like a bit of a whistle-stop tour through Romans. And as, as Paul draws this wonderful letter to a close, he does it in such a way to encourage us to be practical, to be prayerful, to be personal, and to be praise-filled for peace. Four. That's five fingers, you mean? Sorry. Yeah, I can't do that one for some reason. I don't know why that is. That's very difficult. <laughs> oh, yeah, that would work. <laughs> Four. <laughs> So let's have a little, okay? So Romans, we're picking up in chapter 15, verses 25 to 29, first of all, and it says this. Says, At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contributions to the poor among the saints at Jerusalem, for they were pleased to do it, and indeed, they owed it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessing, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessing. When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what they have collected, I will bring, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ." And having spoken of his mission and the spiritual help that we should be given to other people in verses 15 to 22, remember that's what we talked about last week, that's the challenge that Dave brought us. So we are called to be these missional people who are going out, who are bringing God into every place in which we go into. Simply put, we need to be bringing Jesus into our workplace, into our schools, into our universities. But Paul now turns to talk about giving social and practical help to other Christians. However, this is more than just a recommendation or a nice thing to do. Actually, Paul talks about it in such a way that we, that we may not even feel that comfortable about because Paul says that this is what we owe. This is an obligation. But significantly... We should be doing it joyfully. We should be pleased to do this, verse 27. So the question is, how can we make sure that what feels sometimes like a duty, how can we make sure we do it joyfully? Let me illustrate. In Britain, we love to follow rules. Particularly, we love to queue in lines. We queue like no other nation can queue. We're very proud of it, aren't we? 
we love to queue. Um, so we went to Disneyland in Paris a number of years back when Rosie was a bit of a toddler. And I'll tell you what, my holiday was ruined because French people can't queue in lines. They would cut in wherever they wanted to, but listen, we would stand there. We was absolutely moaning and complaining, but we would stand there in our line. We would follow the hollowed rules of queuing for a long time, absolutely seething inside, but we were there. We did it. And Paul says, no, that is not enough. Even when you're doing things out of a sense of duty, you must do it with joy. I don't think he's talking about queuing in Disneyland Paris, but he is talking about serving others. And now this, that may be letting somebody into the line in front of you, of course, in a queue, but you must do it with joy because you're doing it unto Jesus. But How? Well, actually, Paul gives us the answer here because he says, it is by remembering that you have received this incredible, this life-giving spiritual blessing through the gospel, which is by grace alone. There are no extras in grace. There is no debt in grace. Listen, the natural response to such undeserved favor should be just gratitude to his grace and to his mercy. And so often we just don't make the gospel good enough. We sprinkle it with legalism. We sprinkle it with debt. Listen, the gospel, there is no add-ons to the gospel. There's no add-ons because it's by grace alone. And understanding this changes our motives because it's not out of fear. It's out of love. Centered on God with a reverence for God through Jesus Christ. In fact, as we grow in grace... It only increases our realization of our absolute bankruptcy before God. And we learn to truly appreciate the words of Jesus. My grace is sufficient for you. So, so we realize that it is God's enabling through the Holy Spirit, even in the impossible situations, we can do it with joy because of him because of him working through us by his spirit. And with joy, we can give our time, our money, we can give ourselves. And I hope you know that God never allows pain without purpose within the lives of his believers and his children. See, we are utterly dependent on God in every area of our lives, but neither does God just give us grace in order to make us feel better about ourselves. Ultimately, this is for His glory. And you're going to see this time and time again as we go through these few verses. It is all about God's glory. In fact, potentially that's what all of Romans is about. It points to the glory, to the wonder of God. So our human weakness and divine grace go hand in hand. Everything that we have received comes from God, is given to us by God, belongs to Him ultimately. So when it comes and we're called to give away material blessing, you do it to please Christ. In fact, it actually reveals how much you love Jesus. And Paul refers to this very practical example here in verse 28. In fact, he and his friends have received this special offering from the Gentile church in Greece for the suffering saints in Jerusalem. And you can read about it in a bit more detail in chapter 8 and 9 of 2 Corinthians. 
But 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 8 to 9, is actually very helpful in us understanding what, what Paul is saying here. So he says in verse 8, he says, I am not commanding you. So it's not a command. So what is it, Paul? He says, but I am testing how genuine your love is by comparing it with the eagerness of the other churches. So the motive behind all of this is love. Then Paul goes on to point us to Jesus. Verse 9, you know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. So in this particular case, the Gentile church were able to financially help those who were being, who were being helped spiritually. So you want to follow Paul's logic here. So this is what Paul is, seems to be saying. He says, this Jerusalem church have given them the gospel, motivated from love, they've brought the gospel to the Gentiles. Now, in a sense, the Gentile church are repaying a debt. So if you think about it, the Gentiles have received spiritual blessing from the Jews. They owe so much to these Jewish Christians. They've been given the word of God. They've been given Jesus Christ. So by giving material wealth, they are simply repaying what they owe. Actually, Paul, in the very first chapter, says something very similar about himself. In Romans chapter 1, verse 14, he says, I am under obligation both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. And Paul saw himself as a debtor to the whole world because of God's unmerited, unlimited, undeserved favor and grace. But this is much more than just a payment. See, this is actually spiritual fruit. This is the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace at work. Fruit that is the natural response of just walking with Jesus. When the Holy Spirit is flowing in the church and is flowing in a person's life, giving and generosity is never going to be a problem. In fact, it is the expectation the result of God's grace in the heart of a Christian. So there's several reasons for this. First of all, it's just simply an expression of love. Love just means you care, does it not? These Gentile, this Gentile church give because they cared for these poor, or these poorer Jewish Christians. Secondly, grace needs to be seen in practical ways. So giving practical relief when people are in need, shows how much you love. But the third thing that we see here is, is the unity that it brings as well. This unites the church. Actually, it brought the Jews and the Gentiles together. It brought them closer. It built unity. Listen, there's nothing that breaks down barriers, that, 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 that breaks tension, like just generously giving to someone. It can change atmospheres. It can change anything. And we need to build this ministry within our lives to other believers, two ways. First of all, you need to earn the right to give, to receive permission. And the best way, well, is to clothe yourself in gracious Christian character. This is the outworking of God's grace within your life. It's generosity, it's contentment, it's humility, it's forbearance, it's, it's forgiveness. But this can only come with this conscious experience of God's grace through the Holy Spirit. It's when you know that God has saved you through Jesus Christ. 
You're filled with His Spirit. It changes how you relate to one another. But secondly, you need just simply to demonstrate that you care. People need to know that God cares. People way outside these walls need to know that God actually cares for them. And very often, the only way they will perceive that is what they see in you. And you need to be practical within your faith. So Paul's saying, how you relate to one another, your generosity, your time, your money, whatever that may be, very practically, you need to be living for Jesus wherever you go. Second, Paul moves on. He goes on to highlight another vital support that the Roman um, church has given to Paul in verse 30, and that is prayer. We're picking up in verse 30. It says this, I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the on." believers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Do not underestimate the impact and the power of prayer. Listen, we come to the throne of grace, the the throne of infinite majesty and holiness because God is seated there. This is not just a privilege, but actually, if we can just begin to understand something of the wonder of this, it should change us. It should affect not just us, but actually affect lots of things around us as well. And we need to be generous with our prayers. And there's a cost of time and energy that comes with true intercessory prayer. But we need to keep pressing in. We need to keep praying. And Paul's greatest hope is that the bond would develop between the mother church in Jerusalem and the, and the churches, the daughter churches around the empire. So in verse 30, Paul urges them to strive together. To, he talks about being wrestling together. Now, there's a picture is like that of an athlete doing its very best to win a competition or win a contest. Two years ago, I, in my wisdom, decided to do one of these 24-hour races. Um, my goal was to run over 100 miles in 24 hours. That day, I would say I learned something about persevering. <laughs> With every single part of my body just screaming, stop. Somehow, through a sense of sheer determination, my wife calls it stupidity, um, <laughs> maybe a bit of both, but I pressed on to reach the goal. And there is something of that in prayer. People often regularly tell, say to me, you know, I really, really struggle to pray. Listen, so do I. Prayer is a battle. It's not easy sometimes. I mean, there's times when it just flows and it's, it's great, but sometimes, often, we have to press in, we have to push in. You know, we come to prayer meetings sometimes, the first, I find the first half hour is a struggle. And then God comes. We talk about Friday nights, it's great to gather, and again, encourage you to come and just pray with us. I want to pray for a number of things, just for the, this building, we're just a question mark over the future, whether it be here, long term or not. I want to come together and pray into that on Friday. But listen, as we press into God, 
God is not reluctant to come and give to us. You know, sometimes it can feel difficult, but it's not because of God's reluctance to give anything to His children, but neither does God want us to be casual in our prayers. Prayer should be heartfelt. It should be earnest. And every Christian should pray with boldness, expecting God to answer every prayer. In fact, we need to give God no rest until our prayers have been answered. We need to just to learn to pursue God relentlessly, this sort of shameless determination until God responds. We need to be totally convinced that God moves in answer to prayer. In fact, that's what the Bible teaches, isn't it? I think last year we talked about the book of James. James says that you don't get because you don't ask. Teach, Jesus teaches exactly the same thing through many of the parables. John Wesley says that God does nothing but in answer to prayer. And if you truly believe that, you will pray and you will see the hand of God move. And you will see transformation all around you. And you will see your own life changed as well. Prayer can become the most exciting part of your life. And as his church, we can begin to shake our world and our society can be impacted and people around us can be changed and you can become an effective prayer warrior. And in all of this, God gets the glory. That's Paul's point. We're pointing to God. It's not, it's not about us. It's not about us building a big church or us doing... God must get the glory in all of this. It's for his honor, for the glory of his name. And God wants you to invest your life in prayer with passion for the sake of others and for the furtherance of the gospel. So pray. As we move into chapter 16, Paul then gets personal. Let's pick it up. There's a bit of a, bit of a longer chunk to read here. Picking up in verse 1. It says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church in Sancria, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may have need from you. For she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the church of the Galatians give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved, my beloved Eponetus, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are, called, they are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Greet Ampelatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stychus. Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Astrobolus. Greet my kinsmen, Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphena and Tryphosa. Greet the beloved Persis, who works hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Asyncresis, Philegon, Hermas, Patrobobus, Hermas, and the brothers who are with them. Greet 
Philogus, Julia, Nerissus, and his, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them, greet one another with a holy kiss. All the church of Christ greet you. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause division and create obstacles contrary to the doctrines that you have taught. Avoid them. For such people do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetite by smooth talk and flattery they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is well known to all, so that I rejoice over you, but I wait for you to be wise as to what is good and innocent, as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Timothy, my fellow workers, greets you. So does Lucius and Jason and Susipater, my kinsmen. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, who is a host to me, and the whole church greets you. Erastus and the city treasurer and, the, and, and our brother Quantus greets you. Now, this is a remarkable chapter. It's full of long names, and if you say them fast enough, they sort of sound right, which is great. But if in here Paul greets something like 26 people by name, and as well as two unnamed sisters, who, and, and there's several churches and their house groups mentioned here as well. And in this closing letter, he also then finishes by greeting nine believers who are with him in Corinth during the writing of this letter to the Romans. Now, we often think of Paul as a missionary and as an evangelist and as an apostle, and of course, he was all of that. But here we see Paul as a friend maker. He certainly does not live in isolation. He has good friends that he trusts and people around him that he loves and he needs and he appreciates. And Paul is quick to encourage and to commend various people from verses 1 to 16. Now, we don't know all that much about some of the people that are mentioned here. But he begins with Phoebe, a member of the church in St. Crea, the, the seaport of Corinth. And she was the one who made the journey to Rome to carry this letter, this letter of Romans, to the saints there. Phoebe most likely became a Christian during the year and a half that Paul spent in Corinth, a deaconess in the Corinthian church. She would have visited the sick. She would have been there to assist the young women and to help the poor. And Paul talks about her as a helper, literally this protectress of himself and other Christians. And he encourages the church to care for her. She is a remarkable woman, isn't We would do well to have, I guess, Phoebe as a model of someone we, we would look to as an example how we should be lived, particularly women, young women. If you want somebody in the Bible to aspire to, Phoebe's probably a great example to have a look at. Then we get Priscilla and Aquila. Well, they're first mentioned in Acts chapter 18. They put their necks on the line for Paul. Now, we don't quite know how they risked their life for Paul, but at the time of Paul's writing to Romans, they were actually in Rome and they're leading a church in Rome in their own home. Paul refers to four people as beloved. Some of them were converted through his ministry. Other, he, others he describes as kinsmen. So we see both Gentiles and Jews here from different nations, from different backgrounds. And, but this list just shows the part that people played in the life of Paul. He's not doing any of this in isolation. He's with people. He's together. 
Phoebe, this great blessing and encouragement to so many, Priscilla and Aquila, this, these helpers who put their necks on the line for Paul, is through the conversion of Eponetus, actually that led to the salvation of so many other people in Asia. But nobody ever heard of him before. But he had done great things for the gospel. Other people worked so hard for the gospel. People faced prison because of this. But these are all devoted servants and saints who fulfilled their ministry for the glory of God. But they're also just ordinary people like you and me. These are the people that we find in our church serving God. Never underestimate what God can do through you by simply being faithful to Him and by loving one another. Be people who will make friends and value them. You cannot live in isolation. It's not healthy. You need other Christians around you. Make time for people within your life. Become friends with as many people as you possibly can. There are, of course, times when we need to spend time alone in God's presence, but actually we were created to be in community together, working together for the sake of the gospel, but also having fun, having laughter together as well. And to do this, we need, we need to have open, authentic relationships and friendships. Terry Virgo says that true friendship calls for open-eyed confrontation as well as melting moments in worship. True friendship actually cannot be developed inside a church meeting. It needs to be done outside of it. We need to be spending time with one another. Friendships flourish where there's openness, where there's honesty, where there's loyalty. To come out from behind the mask, to remove any religious jargon, to just to get to know each other. Now, my, my early experiences of church life back in Northern Ireland were, well, quite formal, really. We'd walk into church on a Sunday morning in our, in our, in our suit and tie. How things have gone downhill since then. But anyway, but we look, great, look quite good, to be honest. We'd walk in at, at, and we, we'd find our seat. It was uh, number 12 on the right-hand side, um, the right pew, same one every single week. And then because the service started about 12.15, by the time it finished, everybody is so hungry, there's this mass exodus for the door. They, they disappear as quickly as they can. Maybe a few handshakes, a few, a few polite words, jump into their cars, and that is church done for another week. And for many people, that's their experience. In fact, even their expectation of what church is all about. But of course, the other extreme is also possible. We can end up with church from meeting, a meeting every single night of the week, prayer meetings, Bible studies. We discover, and certainly I discovered as I got more involved in church, that it just seemed to be meeting after meeting, committee meeting after committee meeting. And listen, you can do lots of meetings, and you can do no meetings, and still have no true friends. And we would do well to capture something of the New Testament idea of what it is to be together. You see, when Jesus and his disciples were together, they would be at the table together, they'd spend time eating together, they'd actually often lean upon one another, I'm not suggesting we, we introduce that back into our culture necessarily, but this idea of being together, this atmosphere would have been incredible, this band of men were just together laughing, and there's joy, excitement, serious moments certainly, fun, fellowship. They learned to live with one another, with Jesus at the very center of everything that they did. Surely that's an example that we would do well to follow. Actually, this is our calling. 
Just as Abram was profoundly called by God to be a friend of God, God has called us to be friends. And it's out of knowing that we are friends with God that we are freed up to be friends with one another and developing lasting, valuable relationships that are more than just surface deep. But listen, this is risky. Because it means being vulnerable with people and open with people. And there are frequent challenges to this, times of misunderstanding, thoughtlessness, just plain sinfulness. But we need to be blood brothers and sisters in covenant with God and with one another. We need to work together, of work at being together, loving one another as part of the family, a living community on mission together. But if you've been around church any longer than probably a few weeks, you'll realize that actually there are problems within church. No different in Paul's day. I wish I could tell you otherwise, but in verse 17 we read, not everybody is working with Paul for the spread of the gospel. There are some there actually are there to divide the church by teaching false teaching. These people, probably the Judaizers who had given Paul so much trouble in other churches as well. So instead of preaching truth, they're spreading their own religious propaganda and deceit. Listen, Paul gives, them, gives two pieces of advice here. Identify them and avoid them. Now, it's pretty blunt and very clear. He says, these people are from Satan. These are enemies of Christ Jesus. And although, although Paul certainly values friendship, and that's very clear by the list of people he's mentioned here, obeying God must come first. See, the issue is not about us maintaining or keeping friends at any cost, but it's pleasing and honoring Jesus, our Lord and our Savior, and maintaining a constant testimony. No friendship is more important than glorifying God. He comes above all others. And Paul demonstrates this in the final comments at the very end of this book, because he finishes with praise. We need to be praise-filled. Romans 16, verse 25 to 27. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and to the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept, from, kept secret from long ago, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. And Paul finishes this letter by praising God for the revelation of the gospel and of Jesus Christ. And this, and this is just a fitting end to the book of Romans, is it not? This closing benediction is probably the longest that Paul ever wrote. In it, he emphasizes the special mystery of the gospel to the Gentiles. It's this incredible, this incomprehensible unity between Jew and Gentile that just seems impossible, but is absolutely possible through Jesus Christ in the church. This is God's great plan of salvation to all who come to Jesus by faith, a unity that comes through the gospel and is shared to every corner of this world. 
And this book of Romans is just a wonderful declaration of truth. I hope you've enjoyed it. I hope you've got something from the series. It's full of doctrine. It's full of challenge in many parts. There's a bit of controversy thrown in there just to keep us on our toes. But it's ultimately a simple message that faith in Jesus will transform your life. It is by grace alone, by Christ alone, by faith alone. It's about knowing Jesus and about sharing him with others. And this message should be lived out in the practical ways. The way in which we give to one another. How we serve and love one another. It should be done prayerfully as we, we come before God, knowing that all our help and strength is from him. It should be personal as we are friends together with one another. But it should be praise-filled giving him glory. This comes through the power of the Holy Spirit. And he, the Holy Spirit, is the one who propels us into a world that needs help. In fact, a world that needs to hear about Jesus. But above everything else, and everything that Paul does, everything that Paul says, everything that we do, everything that we say should ultimately be done for the glory of God. And that's where we finish. That's where Paul finishes. It's about God receiving all glory and all honor. He must get the glory because he alone deserves all glory. He is worthy of praise. Our Savior, our Redeemer, the one who's taken us from a place of complete separation and death, bound for hell, and he's lifted us from there and brought us into life, into hope, in and through Christ Jesus. This is the wonder of the gospel, the message of Jesus to each and every one of us. Let's stand together. Let's going to pray as we just declare God's goodness and faithfulness as we give him the glory as we finish. Lord, we just say, Lord, you're worthy. And we thank you for the truth of these words. We thank you, Lord God, for, for what you've just been revealing to us through this book of Romans. Father, we pray, Lord, even as we pull this to a close, Lord, continue to keep ministering to our hearts through this. In Jesus' precious name. And Lord, Holy Spirit, I just I pray that you would come and just, as you meet with us, Lord, just challenges and areas that need to be challenged. Lord, is there areas in terms of our, our walk with you? Perhaps in terms of our relationship with one another? Perhaps just in the very practical things that we do? Lord, in our prayer life, Lord, continue to speak to us. And Lord, help us to be more and more like you, Jesus. Lead us, I pray. Father, out this week, Lord, we pray, God, that we have put into practice your word within our life. Lord, it's not just about hearing your word. Lord, it's doing it. But Lord, we need your help in this. So Holy Spirit, I invite you just to equip us. Fill us. Equip us, Lord, I pray. As we've heard, as John just shared a testimony of just the joy of the Lord coming. Lord, I pray, Father, for each one of us that we would just that fresh joy of your spirit, Lord, just come upon us. Lord, even as we just stand in your presence for a moment, Lord, you reveal yourself to us. Lord, help us to receive. Give us open hands, open hearts to receive. In Jesus' name.
And Lord, in all of this, Lord, be glorified. Be glorified, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.